This podcast is brought to you thanks to the generous support of Columbia Bank and Tacoma Creates. Hi, welcome to a podcast from Tacoma Arts Live. My name is David Fisher. I'm executive director and co-producing artistic director at Tacoma Arts Live. And this podcast is the beginning of a series of programs that will focus on our theater production work. There'll be four of these programs a year, and we'll dive into a specific production and the social positioning of each show. Today's episode is about Tribes by Nina Rain, and it's running November 4 through 21st at Tacoma's Theater on the Square. And today we'll be joined by director Lewis Hobson and the lead in the show, Michelle Mary Schaefer. And we'll have a special uh, interpretation, ASL interpretation and voicing for Michelle by Natalie Collins. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Columbia Bank, for this series, for their support. We really appreciate Columbia Bank and all they do in our community. They're a generous sponsor of nonprofits. In addition, we'd like to thank Tacoma Creates for their support of this podcast. I'd also like to acknowledge Brett Carr, who is uh, our partner in theater production and serves as co-producing artistic director as well. So this program has really come about because over the past 12 years or so, Tacoma Arts Live has been producing live theater on and off with special projects. And finally, uh, about two years ago, our board of trustees said, you know, it's going really well. Uh, Why don't we make this a permanent expansion to our programs and that will produce consistently live theater four times a year. And so we launched this program in the fall of 2018 with a consistent four shows per year, uh, all the way until the pandemic kind of shut us down for a while. But now we are so excited uh, to be back and uh, producing live theater at a professional level for Uh, the South Sound region. We have a special vision for the work that we do, and one part of that is really important to me. Uh, It's that we share the curatorial leadership among Pacific Northwest professionals with a deep and significant invitation to members of our BIPOC community. And what we mean by that is, as we think about the plays that we're going to produce, We include uh, our community of theater professionals. We have deep debate and dialogue. We do special readings so that uh, we can hear the play out loud by uh, actors before we make decisions. And then everybody gets to uh, give their voice to those decisions. Uh, Finally, we make the decisions based on a really dynamic and uh, diverse set of goals that we have so that we're representing the broadest spectrum of humanity and our community. And of course, you know, we still have to run a business. So we get all the inputs, we make the decisions, uh, but with a lot of advice. And that gets me uh, and Brett out of um, being the curator on high. Neither one of us want to play that role. 
And so it's a great way for us to involve a bigger uh, base in the community. We're committed to producing plays that engage empathy, spark community conversations, broaden understanding, and of course, bring joy, sometimes challenge, laughter, and catharsis to the audience. And because of Tacoma Creates, the voter-approved tax support program for culture in Tacoma, we have new capacity for involving more community via a special ticket subsidy that we offer from free to $5 a ticket to $10 a ticket. So it's a way that we have more and more people involved. Well, it's great to have uh, our guests here today. Uh, they are uh, Lewis Hobson, as I mentioned. He is the director uh, of the show and uh, our lead, Michelle Mary Schaefer, the actress. So uh, let's get to know them a little bit and uh, maybe we'll start with Lewis. Uh, this show was uh, ready to go up and hit the boards in March of 2020. And we went uh, right at about 90 miles an hour into that brick wall called the <laughs> pandemic. Yes. Uh, having to cut the show short for a while. We went back and forth thinking, oh, it's going to be fine. Yes. Uh, we'll just give it a week, a month. Two weeks. Two months. <laughs> yeah, two, yeah, just another couple of weeks. Exactly. It's, it's all going to blow over. And I got to say, you have been spectacular spectacular as a leader uh, for this project. Uh, I Thank you. Uh, it's been wonderful to get to work with you. Talk about throwing you curveballs, <laughs> uh, but you've just done such a great job. Tell us, you, you grew up here in Tacoma? Yeah, I actually grew up in Puyallup. In Puyallup. Um, I went to Rogers High School. I went to school at Pacific Lutheran University in Tacoma. And uh, my first apartment outside of school was at the Artist Loft right next to the Harmon Building when there were still drug deals happening and prostitutes outside of our door. And um, we we love Tacoma. We've been here with the exception of when we were living in New York. Uh, when I was working out there, we've lived in Tacoma the entire time. I've commuted back and forth from, forth from Seattle. People wonder, why do you live in Tacoma? I'm like, well, because Tacoma's awesome. I have no desire to live anywhere else. And, you know, up until we started rehearsals for Tribes, I hadn't actually worked in Tacoma as an actor or a director or anything else, um, I feel it's an absolute gift. I feel absolutely thrilled to be working in the same place that I live. That's great. Well, I have a goal to keep you more employed here in between <laughs> all of your other gigs all over the country and all over the world. Thank you. So you're doing, um, uh, you have a number of creative projects. You have your own company. Tell, yes. tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm like multi-hyphenated. I kind of do a little bit of everything, and I've been doing this for 25 years. Um, after I graduated from college, I started working, uh, you know, immediately doing theater uh, in Olympia. And then in Seattle, I worked, you know, at the Fifth Avenue, and I did, you know, 20-something shows up there. Um, and then uh, moved out to New York I was also kind of working as an agent as well because my wife owned a talent agency uh, that she owned and operated in Tacoma. So I was doing sort of that on the side and I also do woodworking and I have my hands in a lot of different things, but acting was my primary thing. And uh, I moved out to New York in 2008 and um, my first audition got really lucky and I got into the cast of Next to Normal, uh, which is a Broadway musical, became a Broadway musical. We went out of town to D.C., 
and then came back into the city in 2009 and opened um, to very critical success and uh, acclaim. And uh, the project, uh, the show won a couple of Tony Awards and the Pulitzer Prize for drama. And then I did a few more Broadway shows out there. And then... uh, became interested in producing. Um, I was always asking our producers what the billboards cost in uh, Times Square. And I was really, you know, interested in the business side of things and uh, worked my way into a couple of projects as as a casting associate or a, a production associate on a, on a show and um, came out here to run a theater company in Seattle and then started my own company. And now we're working with Disney Theatrical um, on a new musical called Song of Bernadette. Uh, we just dropped um, an album this week uh, with um, that we produced a Burt Bacharach's first theater album since 1963, his Promises, Promises show that he did then. Uh, we did a show called Some Lovers that we produced upstate New York a few years ago, and we just dropped the album this week. So I have my hands in like a billion different things, um, and uh, it's you know amazing to be here in Tacoma working on this project. This is like my dream to work on this show. It's It's been fantastic and a humbling, wonderful experience. Great. You know, I love theater uh, folk uh, because we can multitask so well. And that's probably not the best description. <laughs> Multi-project sure. uh, so well because yeah. that's how we grow up, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you're either in a show, rehearsing, auditioning for the next one, closing the one that you're in, um, reading, mm-hmm. uh, participating in uh, creative development, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera. And so you are living and breathing that. And I just love the fact that you're based here in Tacoma. Yeah. You have your family here. Yes, I have my wife um, and my three kids. Um, and they, we, you know, we're here most of the time. Um, they do travel with me occasionally. Um, I haven't been traveling much in the last two years, obviously, but, um, yeah, they, they get to go with me every once in a while and, um, but they're here, home base is here, family's here, uh, friends are here. Well, I'm just so delighted that you joined us in the first place and have stuck with us as we've been paused for the pandemic and now we're coming back to life. So thank you so much for everything. Well, let's get to know uh, Michelle Mary Schaefer. Michelle uh, is an actress who's uh, performed all over the country. Um, Michelle, where, where did you go to school? Where did you grow up? As we talk to Michelle, I just remind our audience that Natalie Collins is interpreting ASL as Michelle is signing. So I was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. And... I have done um, stuff in New York. I went to Rochester Institute of Technology. I studied theater at the Community College of Baltimore County. And that's in Essex, Maryland. And that's where I studied theater in the beginning. You know, and uh, so my whole job is, you know, to, to learn about theater, but I also got a a degree in finance and communication as well. So I've got a BS degree. And then after that is when I went to Rochester Institute of Technology. And I was studying uh, deaf education there. Uh, But I decided that was just not for me. My heart wasn't in it. My heart is in theater and film. So I decided to go back to my first 
love from the beginning. So tell us a little bit about your experience uh, working in the theater, emerging uh, as an actor uh, and a deaf person together. How has that journey been? And what has been the most important thing for you to sort of uh, represent uh, and carry uh, so that the hearing community can better understand what's going on? So my journey, you know, I'm an actor and obviously I'm deaf, but first of all, I'm a human. You know, we all are. And yes, I happen to be deaf, but my deafness is not in any way going to stop my dreams. So it's just an added challenge. There's, you know, discrimination, there's oppression, there's bullying from people, even directors, cast members. And so... I feel like I've been very lucky and very blessed being around a lot of wonderful people who recognize my skill and my desire and, you know, coming to different roles. I, I feel like there are a lot of opportunities for deaf people, you know, and so there's a lot of authentic stories to be told for deaf people and for us to be represented. And so I, I just cherish that challenge. You are doing a uh, magnificent job in this uh, production and the rehearsals that I've sat in on. And um, uh, you uh, have also played in plays that are not about uh, a deaf experience. Mm -hmm. And that's um, another kind of opportunity, it seems to me, for you to let your humanity show up and show the complexity that has nothing to do with the fact that you're being deaf, right? How, how has that been? You, I know you were in a production of Hamlet, uh, but uh, some, other, some other projects too. So what, what's that been like? And is that different than being in a play that focuses on uh, the deaf. So when I get a role that's not focused on the deaf, like you said, with Hamlet, mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, we're talking powerful because that role is not about hearing. It's not about being deaf. Mm -hmm. It's about the character, the humanity of that character, the feelings, the emotions of Hamlet same as with Hannah in another play that I did, uh, Sarah. So yeah, so it was about uh, fear and it wasn't about deafness. So it was a beautiful play. And again, like I said, it wasn't about deafness. Yeah. It's just, I love playing characters. They don't have to be deaf. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's just a small portion of who I am. You know, and the same with tribes and children of a lesser God. Those are very important to teach and show relationships, you know, about understanding and communicating. And it's not necessarily about 
the deafness. It's about whether people can understand me. So that's the kind of theater that I like to do. So I think it's time for a lot more plays and, and projects to be written by deaf people. And so it's, it's time. It's time. That is something I've been working on. You know, I think we need to share more stories about our culture and our lived experience compared with hearing people. You know, and a lot of hearing people just don't know those stories. Right. Well, it also, uh, what, I, what I love about what you're saying is that it's this um, beautiful opportunity to confront a hearing audience with a different way of hearing, with a different way of experiencing humanity, that because they're not hearing, they have to work a little harder. And that gets them sort of leaning into the narrative, leaning into what's going on, and I think is able to touch people in a different way. And have you found that to be the case? And what's what's that been like? So I like... for the audiences to not, like they're not, I, like sometimes they're thinking yes, but I mean, it's what they're doing, but I, I want them to sit there and, and really, you know, if, if you're watching somebody signing and not speaking, they start to get a little uncomfortable. And I, I like to let that happen for a moment because then people are like, well, okay, what's going on? because you know, they're very focused on their ears and sound and not so much on what they're seeing with their eyes. You know what I mean. I do. And, and in truth, um, silence on stage is uh, often more powerful than anything else. I mean, it can capture uh, uh, the attention of an audience more than almost anything else I can think of, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. So you, um, <clears throat> you're a bit of a... Uh, itinerant actor like most actors, right? You are moving around the country to different projects. Um, And now you have moved back to Tacoma. We're so happy to have you back uh, with uh, Annabelle, your service dog, uh, who is about the sweetest thing in the entire world I've ever seen. Um, And, uh, but that is a certain kind of life uh, of being on the road uh, a lot. Uh, is there a place that you feel really anchored and that you love to come back to? And maybe is there a place that you love to go to and, uh, and escape? So I've been blessed to come back to the Pacific Northwest for the last five shows I've done here. Pacific Northwest is always going to be a home and a special place for me. I feel a very strong connection with this place. And there's just something about the Pacific Northwest. I don't know what it is. I mean, (laughs) you can attest to that, Louis. And you too. Uh, Yeah, I just think here. um, I I feel like my heart just is very connected to this area. Where to escape? I don't know. Um, I would really like to do... uh, I would like to do some uh, artistic theater and perhaps film. I would love to work in London. Great. 
We'll put that out in the universe here for you. You know, we have three, four people here in the room who are completely dedicated to the Pacific Northwest and got to love that. Okay, well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about this play in particular. So uh, this play, again, is Tribes by uh, Nina Rain. Um, Lewis, and why don't you tell us what where you're coming from and how you're thinking of this play. Um, all right. Well, uh, the play is about this family, a uh, Jewish family in uh, England um, that has a deaf um, child. In the original script, it's a deaf son, um, but we started the process being open for gender for a lot of these roles and uh, also approached some color-conscious casting on one of the roles. Um, and, uh, you know, just being completely open for what this play could be in this moment, in this time. Um, but the play, um, you know, when first reading it, uh, felt a tremendous, um, responsibility to, especially in this moment, to represent deaf culture correctly. Um, this is a play by a hearing artist for a hearing audience, uh, but we've endeavored to create an experience that is intersectional, uh, both for our hearing audience and our deaf audience. It's not going to be perfect. It's not only for a deaf audience. It's not only for a hearing audience. But we're trying to create something that is rich and powerful and of substance um, for people coming at it from different angles. Um, the play has a lot of amazing, wonderful themes that I think are incredibly relevant to today. Um, this idea of tribalism in this family, in uh, uh, different cultures like deaf culture, um, uh, conservative, liberal, um, you know, there's so many different tribes that are sort of carved out in this play that I think is relevant and parallel to what's happening in the world that we live in now and how language helps define these different tribes. Um, or but, divide them. Yeah, or divides them. I mean... Language is like a hammer. It um, can be used as a tool. It can be used as a weapon. And I think this play is so much about language. But I think in really um, diving into the play and uh, looking at what's underneath of everything, to me, Tribes is about not just language but communication. I had this great acting teacher in New York who uh, used to say to me that that the mind doesn't have words. The mind doesn't have words. And I chewed on that for a long time. I wrote it down in my journal. The mind doesn't have like letters and words in there, I don't think, for me anyway. It's ideas, it's emotions, it's notions that we then attach to these sounds and syllables and consonants that becomes language. But how do we get that thing that's inside of us, especially for a character that hasn't been given a language? How do they communicate? And how do we communicate with, with one another? I speak English. I hear I'm not a deaf person. I, I, I haven't grown up in a deaf uh, uh, household. Um, I have problems communicating what's inside of me using my language. Some of the words like love don't really make sense to me. Because I love sandwiches, and I love my wife, and I love my children, and I love ice cream. Love is the same word every single time. 
there's something inside of each of us that needs to get out and communicate it to another person. And I think that that's the beauty of this play is all these people are seeking connection, seeking to communicate. It also seems to me uh, that the family, particularly the parents, are working really hard to keep uh, the family in a, uh, in, uh, uh, behind a wall. Mm. And, you know, in some ways that wall has meant that one of the characters is not um, thriving academically or thriving in his, his job. Another one is, I mean, they're walking around in their uh, robes and underwear throughout yeah. a lot of the show. <laughs> and we should say for families, uh, it is a salty play. There is a lot of uh, uh, spicy language in this play. And, you know, part of that yeah. from the tribalism is that we develop our own our own rules within the family, right? Yeah. Um, but I guess where I was going with the wall is, in a way, they wall off Billy from creating another tribe. Is that kind of how you see it, Michelle? As we talk to Michelle, I just remind our audience that Natalie Collins is interpreting ASL as Michelle is signing. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about the play. But, so there's a lot of deaf and hard of hearing people, kids and adults, um, who grow up with hearing parents. And so this story will obviously resonate with those people. So Billy's family, similar to my family? No, not really. But there's a lot of emotion with different kinds of theater. And there's some empowerment and open-mindedness that comes with understanding that the family that we have is part of everyone's story. And so that connects all of us together. So I think it helps people to maybe accept one another and respect each other. So that's kind of what I get from tribes. That's great. And, and that, I think that is one of the big outcomes. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a long road to get there. Um, and you know, the, as I was saying, the, the parents have made this choice and I don't know, Lewis, do you think they're, they're in some ways making the choice to wall off the family to protect them? Uh, yes. I think it's worth noting, uh, just as you walk into the theater and you're sitting down for the first time that, um, the, the, the synopsis that sort of the play is that the family has chosen, not to let Billy learn sign language. And um, she must learn to communicate with uh, people using her voice and uh, by reading their lips. And so she's sort of been walled off from this deaf community because her family feels like it's, 
she's not going to grow as a human being. She needs to learn how to live in the world and not this sort of deaf world that is somehow adjacent to their experience in their world. Um, and all that sort of changes. The world is sort of turned upside down for her when she meets Sylvia at a deaf function that uh, that she meets early on in the play, who is hard of hearing. And we find this out uh, throughout the play that uh, because of a uh, genetic condition, she's losing her hearing and she'll, over the course of the play, she loses the ability to hear. And so they sort of trade places, well, not even trade places in the sense. Uh, Sylvia uh, knows ASL and teaches Billy ASL and um, Sylvia sort of losing her footing because she's lost this thing that she's been so used to and not quite ready to enter the deaf world. Um, so it's it's an interesting sort of exploration and and I think it's worth noting that um, uh, we reached out to a lot of people within the deaf community on this to make sure that we got input from the deaf community because I am not deaf and I didn't grow up CODA. I'm not hard of hearing, um, but I wanted to bring that perspective into the room as much as we can. We're bringing in a director of ASL. We have several interpreters that will be on stage, not to the side. And at every single performance, we have um, projections of text. Um, we've really tried to make this um, as intersectional as possible and bringing in as much of that perspective as possible. Let's talk a little bit about the choice of uh, bringing the ASL interpreters into the action of the play because that's right. fairly Well, unusual. if you've been to theater, I mean, usually there's one or two performances where you'll see two interpreters way off to the side lit that are uh, signing, uh, that are interpreting the uh, what the characters are saying on stage. And um, one of the first things that we sort of asked is like, well, if we want this piece to be intersectional and, and accessible to a deaf audience, then every single performance should be uh, have have that um, interpreter or multiple interpreters to make the show um, accessible to them. And then we went one step further and said, well, what if they're on stage and they're part of the play rather than something off to the side is like uh, an accommodation, right? There's a difference between making an accommodation and making something intersectional. Um, and accessible. So that was one of the first choices that we made. And then artistically, we started to ask the question of like, well, what things should be interpreted through sign? What things should be um, uh, up on the screen as text? Um, obviously, when the, uh, the, the characters of Billy and Sylvia are, are signing, the, uh, the hearing audience who doesn't, and maybe even some of the deaf audience that don't sign, Let's say that that's also a possibility, that we wanted that to be visible and understandable to the audience. And so um, we've sort of chosen to use both modalities and um, also comfortable with uncomfortability. I think Michelle said when um, hearing uh, people are around people who are signing, they don't know what's going on. They get a little uncomfortable and that's okay and that's good. And so there's a few moments in the play where uh, Billy and Sylvia are signing, and unless you know ASL, you're not going to know what they're saying, and that's okay. Right. Again, the audience leaning in, yeah. even with confusion or yeah. a desire to learn. Yes, because the deaf audience is sitting in the audience in this in a much bigger boat that they aren't picking up everything. Absolutely. And our point is not to sign every single word in the play. No. 
not to interpret every single word in the play because there's so much crosstalk. The point is not, the point in this piece is that there's so much language that it's, these people like to talk and they like to talk over each other and they're not actually communicating sometimes. They're just, they just like the sound of their own voices. And so uh, the, uh, the task has sort of been to, to pare down and figure out what stuff is essential for interpreting. Uh, making those choices, I, I think, uh, is um, such a great way, as I've, I've been saying, to, to get the audience to perk up and stay engaged. You know, if everything is spoon-fed across the spectrum, it's like, there's no curiosity. Mm -hmm. There's no uh, engagement and, and excitement in trying to figure out as an audience member what's going on. Yeah. And in this play with so many characters uh, and so much history behind all of those characters, there is a lot going on yeah. in this thing. So it's... I think it's well, fantastic. and I, I'm just interested in Michelle's perspective too. We talked about this when we sat down in New York um, before we started rehearsals. Because uh, I was curious as to how do you like to to consume theater? We talked about Deaf West, which famously does uh, like musicals with um, uh, interpreters behind the actors. And um, you had said something interesting about that you'd rather watch the show with your phone up because you you'll have like the the text rolling across your your phone rather than watching the interpreters because that's another layer of performance. You'd rather watch the actors. Am I remembering that incorrectly? As we talk to Michelle, I just remind our audience that Natalie Collins is interpreting ASL as Michelle is signing. No, that's correct. You're right. So for me, I personally would rather watch the actors with text captions so that I, I understand what the line is and then I can watch what the actor is doing. So often with like Deaf West, I mean, it's very cool that they have the shadowing, but then you miss some stuff. With an interpreter off to the side, that's problematic because why even go to the theater? Because then you're just looking over at the interpreter and not the actors. So deaf and hard of hearing people don't necessarily like to go to the theater because they miss out on the actors and what's happening on stage because they're watching the interpreter. So interpreters on stage, I like that idea. And it, it you're able to see both the interpreter and the actor. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I want people to see me. <laughs> you know, that's just me. That That's how I like to watch theater. And I'm, like I said, I'm very focused on watching the action on stage because I want to see how the actor becomes that character. And it helps me become a better actor. I think um, the hearing audience can connect with these ideas a little bit for those who have uh, attended opera with subtitles or supertitles, how difficult and frustrating that is to be looking up, trying to get the interpretation of the line, not miss the emotions coming at you uh, and being torn uh, at that all the time. And that's that's the experience you have all the time with uh, signing, you know, right? So get that. You want, you want the details of the content and the emotions of the content uh, at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very challenging to be, to please everyone. So <laughs> that is an issue. 
Yeah, you can't please everyone. Um, but, you know, we're going to try. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other interesting thing that we that we worked on in this, and this was sort of a discovery in the rehearsal process uh, when we were talking to our interpreters, and one of them was Coda, a child of a deaf adult. Um, and, you know, they grew up hearing, but, you know, in, in a deaf family. And uh, one of the things that they were really interested in working on was uh, interpreting music. And there is a lot of music. The uh, the, the the playwright uses uh, classical music specifically for most part as transitional things. As um, uh, there's this idea of like orchestral music where all these instruments are playing and on top of each other. That I think she's using as a, a bit of a metaphor for this family where everybody's sort of this the the music of this family and listening to them speak is like listening to an orchestra play. Um, and so we were really interested in exploring the idea of can we make that music accessible for a deaf audience and having these interpreters find a way to do that. And, the, and I'm completely ignorant to, to the different art forms of that. But, you know, in, in talking to people and doing a little bit of research, we want to see if we can accomplish that as well in this piece. Fantastic. So identity uh, shows up beyond uh, the deaf and the hearing in some of the choices uh, that the company has made. Uh, again, uh, Billy was written as a male role. Uh, we have uh, yeah. the blessing of having <laughs> Michelle in yeah. the role. And then that um, created uh, a question about who the love interest would be yeah. uh, for Billy. And so talk about that because there's another whole set of identity questions and intersectionality around some yeah. of the other choices that are going on. Yeah, it's it was something that we took very seriously. And, you know, we looked at the family and looked at, you know, can we um, think about this family in a, a different intersection or culture? But we looked at identity perspectives. So that's what we did. With Michelle, um, it was uh, when we started to work on you know, I talked to Margaret Lane in Seattle, a casting director up there, and she suggested Michelle and other people at because she had played the role many times. Um, and actually, it's really funny. How many times have you played the role, Michelle? This is going to be my fifth time playing Billy. Right. And my final one as well. <laughs> Great. I get your final <laughs> performance. This is very exciting. I'm very excited about this. Um, but you've actually played Billy as... Uh, as a male identifying character. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's interesting yep, to me. Yep, I cut my hair and I wore a binder. Mm. <laughs> and I had to learn how to stand and walk and sit like a man and and sign that way. So huh. that was an interesting experience. Um, but now... As a woman, uh, I'm excited to play Wait, this way. So I'm, I'm really curious about what you just said because uh, we've never talked about this before. What's the difference between signing as a woman and signing as a man? So I personally, um, with my wrists, they're a little looser, so I made them a little tighter huh. and put my shoulders back a little more when I signed just to be a little more aggressive rather than like, hey, you know, with the, I don't know. You can see the difference. It's hard to explain it. No, I've never thought about um, it before. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, yeah. And so standing. She's standing up right now showing us. Standing with my legs apart yeah. and my shoulders back. 
is is how I would do it as a male identifying. So my hip placement, but as a woman, I would tend to be a little. And then she's uh, have my hip off to one side. Uh (laughs) So yeah, Um, whereas a man would never stand like that. It would be like that hip would never be out. And at the beginning, I was like, I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. Interesting. (laughs) No, we'd never talked about that, and I was just entirely curious about what you meant by having to sign like a guy. So. Um, that's fantastic. So you've done this, now, this is your fifth time. Each time learning, changing, doing things differently. And like... Yes. In the process, I, I know for me, because I've done uh, a few roles multiple times. The second time around, I go, oh, how did I miss that the first time? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What, yeah, what I've had that experience. Was I? What, well, I don't want to give too much of the play away, though. <laughs> Have you had that experience, though? Yes. Yes, I have. You know, and sometimes I'll overlook something the first time and the second time be like, oh, I cannot believe that. Or, you know, maybe it depends on who I'm working with. You know, who my Sylvie is. You know, if we connect really strongly or uh, with the brother character. You know, so there's different layers. So it depends on who I'm acting with. And how those change. Sure. So it changes how I approach Billy. So everything, each time I do it, it's new. And it adds a little something to it. So it makes it fun. And, you know, having a good director. Huh? <laughs> uh, thank you. And still having fun with it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we we look through the script and and there's, a, there's like maybe one or two lines that are like the way that the father talks to the male version of the Billy. That line makes sense, but maybe not to the female version of Billy. And we also had the conversation of like, is, is, are, is she um, uh, male identifying? And, and Billy was like, no, no, no. Or um, Michelle was like, no, no, no. I think that I want to play her as uh, a girl who is female identifying. And then we looked at Sylvia and said, well, should we switch the gender there? And looking at that, it, like it didn't make quite as much sense. It made more sense to keep them uh, together in that way and in, in that sort of relationship. Um, and it's okay that Sylvia says that she has a boyfriend at the beginning because sexuality is fluid. And, and you know, I don't think we need to necessarily lock that down. I think that we can just let this relationship be what it is. So um, as the play progresses, there is a uh, a essential plot point moment where Billy has breached trust. Mm. I don't want to get into too much of the details around that, but um, I think it is such an interesting choice for the playwright, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm wondering what you think is going on about that in terms of this idea of communication, this idea of tribe, uh, the idea of family circle, and what that breach of trust uh, represents. Mm. I'd love to throw this to Michelle mostly. Um, But what I'll say is that, because we've had conversations about it, and it's uh, it's kind of a controversial thing a bit, because... uh, uh, you you have this deaf character who we're rooting for, and then you sort of make them imperfect. And mm-hmm. if it were any other character that wasn't deaf, 
you'd accept it because we're all imperfect. And I and I want to like get away from this notion that we have to represent people who have a disability or people that um, are marginalized as being perfect because everyone's in, imperfect. And Michelle said at the beginning, like, you're a person. You're not a you are deaf, but you're a person first. And every person is imperfect. Every person has their, their hopes and dreams and maybe don't uh, quite reach them or take a wrong turn. But I think that this person is um, a beautiful person that has imperfections. And I accept that. So that's my that's my perspective. Michelle, go ahead. Do you have thoughts about that? <laughs> no, I agree with everything that Lewis just said. Yeah, so trust. So it there's a lot of meaning with that. So there's a lot of different levels to different kinds of trust and breaking trust within your family, breaking trust in the community, whether it's deaf or hearing. Uh, there are a lot of layers to that. And it creates a lot of emotion. So I I can't really quite answer what you're saying right now. But yeah, it's something that people need to see when they come see tribes. Mm, I agree. I love it. I, I, I love that twist in the play. And for me, it is a moment where Billy uh, is, in a way, exercising her power in new ways. And it just happens to be a kind of messed up expression, you know. But like you say, we're not perfect and we have to learn and we have to grow. And this is uh, a moment uh, where that uh, powerful expression is made and it's like, oh, I crossed the line. Mm-hmm. Right? I think there's a lot of power in that. And, yeah. um, the humanity of this play is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some fantastic actors. I mean, th- <laughs> this group of actors is one of my favorite groups of actors I've ever worked with on any project. And that's saying a lot because I've worked on some cool projects. Um, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, we didn't get one of our cast members back, but uh, we have another actress coming into play, the mother, and she's one of my favorite of all time uh, local actress, uh, Mari Nelson, and uh, you know Jonathan, Isabel, and Anders, and you know Madison and Michelle. It's a it's, it's a fantastic, like top notch, professional quality cast. Like you know, I think people are going to be blown away. Great. Well, I think we're going to wrap there, Michelle. Thank you uh, so much for coming back to Tacoma and jumping into this role again for the last time. <laughs> Lewis, thank you for your incredible leadership and talent and uh, thank you, bringing David. this group together. And you have like the best podcast voice. I could just like listen to you do a podcast like all day long. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. But thank you uh, very much, <laughs> Natalie Collins. Thank Michelle you. Michelle says for, she agrees. Uh, speaking. Oh, thanks so much. Natalie, thank you for uh, voicing Michelle for us today. And so come and join us uh, at uh, Theater on the Square, uh, November 4 through 21. This play is uh, phenomenal, filled with comic twists. So while it's charged with emotions too, it is the whole package. You will come, you will laugh and have a great time. So come and join us. It's a play that uh, has uh, won all sorts of awards you won't be disappointed. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Columbia Bank, for this series, for their support. We really appreciate Columbia Bank and all they do in our community. They're a generous sponsor of nonprofits. In addition, we'd like to thank Tacoma Creates for their support of this podcast. 
Thanks again for joining Tacoma Arts Live for our podcast on theater production. Uh, we'll be back again for uh, another version of this when we are uh, advancing the show Grounded, uh, which will be coming up in early winter. Thanks again. Brought to you by On Purpose Recordings. Created and produced by Chris Blunt. Mixed and edited by Joff Gibbs.